Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast, where we happily discuss all things acting, we focus on the craft, the business side of things, and also the mindset, and pretty much every little gap in between. My name is Gary Condes, and I'm talking to you as always from my beloved London, but I'm also joined by fellow actors and teachers and coaches, Brian Casp, who is based in Prague, the Czech Republic. Hello, Brian. Hey, Gary. Good to hear your voice. Oh, likewise. How are you this week? I'm pretty good. We're just, you know, getting through it, as always, (laughs) getting through it. Getting through it onwards. I think people are just looking onwards and getting on with it. Yeah. And we also have Andrea Helen, who is based in Mallorca, España. Hello, Andrea. Hello, guys. How are you? Happy to be here. Well, we're mm-hmm. happy for you to be here and to act <laughs> as that balance between the two males. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you like that? What does that mean? <laughs> Can you imagine if it was just Brian and me? Well, how, would it, how different would it be if it was just Brian and me? Oh, it would be, it'd be so different, different. But also... You've also set up a contrast between the Americans and the Brits. So, you know, you're all about finding those differences there, Gary. I like to find the similarities in the differences. Put it that way. All right. Well, we're all human beings. Exactly. And differences are good because that's what makes things interesting. Absolutely. Celebrate Um, all of it. Yes. Differences and similarities. (laughs) (laughs) That that would make a good podcast, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well... This week, we have listeners' questions that we'll be addressing. But firstly, as always, we are going to check in with each other and just have a little chat about what we've been up to regarding our creative endeavors, our work. Well, my home studio has been busy this past week. Mm. I had a few auditions that I had to do for various types of projects. One was a film where I got the sides and I looked at it and I was like, I don't see my character name. And then I saw it in one of the action blocks and I wrote to my agent and I said, does this mean that I'm just supposed to do that action and not say anything for this audition? And he said, I'll check for you. And then he got back to me and he said, yep, that's all they want is for you to do that little action and then send it off. And I thought, right, uh, this is very interesting. So Mm. I did that. I sent it off. I had a callback, which I subsequently booked. So that's good. I don't know how much I really want to crow about booking work. It feels a little bit weird what? to crow about it, but All maybe right. I'll talk You're not about crowing it about it. It's good. It's what we want to yeah. know. It Look, feels... we share our most difficult or disappointing yeah. moments, and it's also important to share those victories. And, you know, any of our listeners who don't like to hear that, then switch off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe that's a topic for another time, but Crowing. there is a sensitivity, I think, mm-hmm. that actors mm-hmm. need to have about talking about booking work mm-hmm. when so many people are not. And it's not that I'm not proud of the work that I'm doing, and it's not that I don't feel like I don't deserve it. Well, I don't deserve is a weird concept because each individual job is kind of like a random act of, well, I got it or I didn't get it. In aggregate, it shows a certain readiness to be cast or something like that. But Each individual job seems like a little miracle that it actually happened. Yeah, especially in this world of social media, where that whole world is an extra way of connecting and networking, as we've talked about, and also getting noticed, if you like, and all the rest of it, then that can add to one's extension of parading one's work or boasting about one's work or just announcing one's work. And I mean, we do it here Mm -hmm. because we're in the business of it. And it happens more often in this world than others because our jobs are short-lived. And therefore, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I've got another one. And whereas most people are in their jobs for either, you know, a, a good amount of time. You right. know, if, if, they, if someone was in and out of an accountancy every month, then you'd go, God, they're not very good at their job, are they? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's part of just going, well, I've got another job. But I think it's all about how you go about it because – right. I, too, have never talked more about my work than since I've been on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And there's a necessity for it because there's an end result in terms of we're discussing, even though it's to do with announcing the good fortune of getting work and then dissecting that and things behind it. But also, I'm also on social media and I'm conscious and I do have a thought about what I should put out and what I shouldn't. If someone congratulates me on a course, do I put that out? Is that boasting? Is it self-aggrandizing, part of me doesn't want to do it 
And the other mm-hmm. part of me is going, fuck it, do it. It's all normal anyway. But I think like a lot of things, it's how you go about doing it. And yeah. that certainly can mm-hmm. sabotage your original efforts and can get in the way and can be counterproductive. But then it's also, why wouldn't you talk about the thing that you're in so much and doing so much of? Because it is news. I got this. Yeah. I got this. And yes, maybe if I know that somebody, because of the pandemic, has lost their job and hasn't worked in 18 months, and I'm going, oh man, I've never been busier in my life. God, every day I'm working from eight in the morning until 10 at night. I've been so, I'm so busy. In fact, look at how much money I'm making. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's a bit insensitive. True. Yeah. Yeah. And I've encountered that during these last 18 months for sure. But then I've spent a lot of time shit kicking that I shouldn't feel bad about going, you know what? Well, what I'm up to is I've I've managed to secure this coaching job on preparing a well-known actor on a very big film, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like, Mm -hmm. that's the truth. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I completely agree with that. You know, I think it's that deep down at a certain level, one of the things that I love about acting is the attention. You know, that's what brought me into it in the first place. It's deepened and it's broadened. So it's not just about the applause and the love that people give you when you're up on stage and saying, hey, look at me, look at me. But I think that is still a part of it. And so some of, hey, I got this thing that makes me feel really good because people want me. It's tempting to really indulge yourself in that. And the falsehood, I think, that when you book a job, it's because you're good and you deserve that job. And when you don't book a job, it's because you're bad and nobody wants you. I think that that is a very, very slippery slope kind of weird space to play in when part of what I've tried to do is when I don't book a job, I go, that's okay. The next one, maybe I'll get that one. And it wasn't really about me. And when I do book a job, it's maybe still, I'm trying to put myself in the space where it's still kind of true that yes, it has something to do with my performance and that I fit, but it doesn't mean that someone else might not have done just as good a job as me or that isn't just as deserving as I am. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm good and other people are bad. And I don't, I know none of you said that, but I think that's, that plays a part in it. Well, there's a lot of mitigating circumstances that go to getting a role, as well as talent. And we all know that. We've talked about it. And most actors know it really deep down, even if they don't allow themselves to be conscious of it. So yeah, when you get to that kind of black and white binary, I must be good, and that inflates you, and you just sort of trade on that, then you're kind of losing touch with reality. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But it's tempting. You know, that adrenaline hit of like, oh, they want me. They like me. I think it's tempting. And I think it's... It's kind of like a drug. Oh, yeah. But it's present in all sorts of occupations. I mean, we're just in this weird space where we're applying for jobs all the time. But if you Mm -hmm. talk to most people who have a career that's built upon a couple of major positions and they're in that space of applying and applying, I have a friend who just, you know, she did like 129 job applications and I don't know, 15 interviews and nine second interviews. And now she got a new job. And I'm so thrilled to see her shout about it with pride and excitement and enthusiasm for what she's about to do. We know all too well how awful it can feel sometimes when we're just going and going and going and and not booking something. But Brian, I don't think you should be worrying about whether or not you handle this with graciousness. I think one of the things that you've tried to do with the podcast and that hopefully we all try to do is to present a balanced and informative picture about what it means to be a working actor, what the challenges Mm -hmm. are and what the disappointments can be and how to handle things in a way that's generous in the craft and generous in the business and thoughtful and professional. And Mm -hmm. it's helpful for us to understand that sometimes you get the job and sometimes you don't. And that's a part of it. So it would be, in a way, almost disingenuous to not share the times when you do book something because I think our listeners are in our corners and Gary and I are (laughs) certainly in your corner. Well, that's nice. And you'll come back to it with stories and insights. And I'm sure that there's going to be something of benefit that you will be wanting to share with everybody else because that's that's how you're built and that's what we're doing here. So I just choose to see that you come at everything from a point of enthusiasm. Of Of course, you're eager to be seen. Everybody wants to be seen and respected and heard and valued. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that just 
because we're performers. You come at it with graciousness, and that's why we love you. Aw, thanks. And let's remember, you know, we're doing this at the top of the podcast in order to not crow and boast, but to kind of go, well, this is what we've been up to, Mm -hmm. and here's some insight about that. So leaving the first round of the audition, there were some guys that were going to be auditioning who hadn't really been given the text. And so they were given the text right at the audition. And and so I walked out and I was kind of talking to them about some strategies for what was important and how to deal with this chunk of text that they kind of had to cram for their audition and, and how to kind of paraphrase and what to pick out in a way. So I do feel that sense of, hey, chums, we're in this together. Like, Mm -hmm. let's go get them, you know, and maybe Mm -hmm. I'll get it this time and maybe you'll get it the next time, but we're in this together and we got to help each other out because Mm -hmm. really we're competing against the cat. It's not really the casting director or the director, but like we're competing against something other than each other. Mm -hmm. And if you can find an attitude like that and what you're describing, Brian, is not the norm necessarily, but it's beautiful. And I think if you can find an an approach like that, an attitude like that, that's born out of generosity and camaraderie and collaboration, you'd be surprised how that can come back to support you. When I was first acting in Chicago, it was a very professional environment, but smaller certainly than Los Angeles. And, you know, I experienced that quite a bit that I was in the waiting room with the same women. Mm -hmm. And it was that feeling we would talk to each other. And if somebody said, Hey, I'm up next, I need to prepare. You know, of course we gave each other space, but they were people bringing their babies in. And when they went into the auditioning room, we'd watch the babies. And it was a very, very lovely community of people. And I felt like it all kind of went around. We would all book and we'd see each other's commercials and we'd know who booked it. And it would just kind of, it was like, passing the baton around regularly in the community. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody was well served by existing in an environment that had some basic ground rules of kindness and professionalism among us. When I got to LA, it was a different feeling, definitely, because it's just such a large tank that we were all swimming in. And there's some sharks in it. Yeah, there are some sharks in it. And there are some people who will play some mind games in the waiting room. That certainly happens. So I think if you can find a mental space within yourself, even when you're in the waiting room and you're going through the process now of self-taping and submitting or being side by side by others whom you know, the mental game is a really important part of your success. And by success, I don't just mean whether or not you book it. I mean, whether you can be happy in the pursuit of the job, because, you know, auditions are an opportunity to act and to perform and to meet people. And if you can be happy, even at the audition stage, oh gosh, your career will be much longer and happier, I think. Yeah. A lot changed for me when I started moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. So what have you guys been up to? Well, I haven't booked any jobs this week, but I did get a couple auditions coming in for me and my daughter, actually. I haven't even opened them up today. They've arrived. So we'll see what happens there. I'm in this funny space where I think two of these jobs are shooting in the U.S. So there's a question of, you know, the logistics right now with COVID, whether that's a possibility. But as we've just been speaking about, you know, I just need to keep my head down and focused and do the best job possible right now. And we'll deal with the logistics later. So, and then I've been having a meeting with my colleague here, who's an amazing actress and who runs the Institute for Acting Mallorca. And together we've founded this association to support actors here in the Balearic Islands. And so she She's just had another press interview, and we're talking about future workshops, including one coming up in May and some other plans for events here on the island. And then I've got an online workshop coming up this Saturday, which I'm really excited to do, focusing on self-tapes. So I've been working on that somewhat. A lot of my students are very excited about that upcoming Uh, workshop because they're going to be, although by the time people hear this, it will have already happened. So hopefully there'll be another one coming up in the near future from when people hear this, but um, yeah, they're excited. So thank you. I'm excited to hear about it on Monday. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to working with them. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Good stuff. What about you, Gary? Well, I, unashamedly and without reservation... Okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm coaching a really famous client on an upcoming Netflix. <laughs> and he says I'm the best coach he's ever worked with. Yes. 
So, so thanks for listening, folks. Good night. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started working with uh, one of my clients this week on an upcoming new Netflix TV series, mm. prepping her role. So working with her to prepare the role. She's got it. She got the casting. And it was a quite a lengthy process. And the strange thing is, being a coach, you start to work with actors who are going up for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of goes back a little bit from a different angle mm-hmm. yeah. about bumping into actors of your type regularly uh, and it feels like you're competing against them. Now, I'm not competing against these guys, but I'm prepping various different actors for the same role. But what's interesting, and it should really shine a light on what actors have to go through, is she's playing a large supporting role to one of the leads. So it's a decent part and it's regular. But an interesting thing started happening. We got the pages and they had this read through of a couple of the episodes that she's going to shoot. And we prepped and we worked on it. All the work went down really well. And then we started to get revisions and her lines started to disappear. Mm. And some of the lines were attributed to the lead actor that she had. Mm. And started to get down on herself because she thought, oh, I did such a bad read through at that. They're now... (laughs) taking things away from me because I'm so bad. No, just the opposite, Uh, probably. Well, possibly. But, you know, it just reminds us that, particularly in in TV shows, that the writing continues until the end. It's not a finished product just because you read it through. And it's very particular for TV shows and big American TV shows in particular. So she started to get down on herself because she felt that the read-through that she did was so bad that they started to take the lines away from her and diminish her role. Hmm. You know, even worse, putting her lines in the mouth of some other character. And what started to happen is that this hard-edged character who had humour and used humour as a kind of mask started to morphed into uh, a more sincere character who cared for the lead character and the relationship. And so it started to change too Mm. and got into a big old panic. And it's very relative to casting and all the rest of it. You don't know at all what is going on there. This might have been their plan all along and they're just getting to it. You just don't know. So dismiss that from your brain immediately because otherwise it'll keep you up at night and it'll, it'll affect your performance. Deal with what's there and let's just do the task in hand and now adjust to these different information that we're getting. And then, okay, talked around and kind of got on with it. And then what started to happen is, is the line started to build up again with the next revision. <laughs> and she's like, oh, so... They really don't finish, do they? They're continuously adjusting. And I'm going, they've probably saw you in that read-through and went, you know what? We want to use more of that. So they actually adapted it to suit you more, maybe. Or perhaps they saw something in you that they wanted to bring out more of. And it took the read-through to enable that. So it's just a reminder that things are always in flux. Mm -hmm. The scripts are still being worked on. And you've got the role. So I know actors are perpetual worriers and can beat themselves up. But once you've got the job, no matter what happens, surely the beating up can stop. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't stop usually, but I mean, it should. (laughs) Because I know that there are shows where if the lead feels threatened by another character's arc, Mm -hmm. or if it feels like another character is doing some cool stuff Mm -hmm. or has some fun lines and is going to steal the thunder away from the lead, then I've known cases where they're going to have a conversation with the showrunner and be like, listen, I'm the star of the show. And it's not to say that that should change how you as the actor approach what you've given. I think that it just goes to show like you got to show those people that are at the table read, the executives that are there and the showrunners and all the other producer writers that are on those TV shows, you got to show them what you can do. You got to hit it as hard as you can because they are revising all the time. You never know what's going to happen. I've known people who started one season as like a small supporting role and in this subsequent season have become really major supporting roles. And I've seen people that started the season with a strong supporting role and promises of a real interesting arc. And basically by the middle of the season, they've faded away. I think you're absolutely right, Gary. You never know. It might be due to your own performance, But I don't think you can start second guessing what you should be doing. I think you just have to be truthful and honest and hit it the way that you hit it when they auditioned. We talk a lot of things about what actors need and need to develop. And I think one vital thing is philosophical bravery, Mm -hmm. as Alan Watts 
the great Buddhist philosopher and spiritual leader said, you got to build up a philosophical bravery in castings. You go to a casting, you do your job, and then you leave. It's none of your business. Who else is in the room? What happened? And whether they're going to like it or not, you've done your job, you've done your best you can is move on. And it's the same with this kind of thing is who knows, it may be that they didn't like your performance and that's why they've cut you down. Or just maybe there's lots of other factors, financial, artistic, personal. And it's like you could stay up all night thinking about these things. So Mm -hmm. at some point, yes, you may well be disappointed that you've been written out. But at some point, you've got to just go, okay, well, let me make sure that it's not about my acting, at least, and continue to do that. And what I've been given, I still do really well, Mm -hmm. because there's so much out of your control. And that's part of being an actor. So just deal with what is in your control. And that's it. The other crazy thing to think about is that being on a show like that feels like it's the pinnacle or a pinnacle of an actor's career, right? You've made it. You're on a show, you're shooting, you're doing the job. It's all great, right? And then you get there and you think, well, wait a minute. This job is going to end pretty quick, especially if it's a Netflix show. They're they're probably going to cancel it after three seasons anyway, even if it's a success. You know, so that's three years of a job, which is great. But then you're back into it looking for that next thing. And if you've been stunning in your work, even if that particular show cuts you down a little bit, then the people that are around the table, the showrunners and the producers are going to remember it. Mm -hmm. And they're going to give you more chances to do it. And the casting directors are also going to remember who's good, who the producers seem impressed with. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You're always auditioning. Even if you're on a show, you're always auditioning anyway. Yeah. All things are temporary. Yeah. Okay. Speaking <laughs> of Alan Watts. Okay. <laughs> Shall we get to our main topic finally? <laughs> this might be our main topic, actually. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now, look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner. And if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put VAGABOND25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. The question that I wanted to talk about tonight was that a friend of mine was cast in a job shooting actually in a different city, in a different country. And over the course of that job, what was promised to her changed. And what I thought was really a good question to get into, especially because here in the East of Europe, like the casting directors might represent you for that particular job as well. So they're kind of in a conflict of interest. And you might not have a strong agent backing you up because you're kind of represented everywhere and nowhere at the same time. There's no one who only has your interests in their mind. So what do you do if you're on a job and the producers start to say, well, we're just going to, you know, is it okay if we, we, like, it seems like the schedule, we're we're not going to need to shoot that third day. And then you realize, actually, wait a minute, we've been here for 14 hours working really hard, but nobody's really talked to me about overtime and I didn't really get lunch. So what's going on? And I'm in a different city. So I wanted to talk about what we do in that situation. And I know there are some easy answers, but I think even those easy answers aren't so easy when you look at it from the position of someone who feels kind of powerless. Well, I'd start with the contract. I mean, you'd have to have a look at that contract and look at what was actually laid out and whether what they're doing 
has been included in it or is contravening it. Mm -hmm. If it's included, then you can't really argue. You're a bit screwed if what they seem to be doing is within the contract and how it's been laid out for any extra deviances, if you like, or departing from the original plan, Mm -hmm. whether it's extra work, extra hours, it's a finite remuneration and a certain amount of money you've been paid. If all that is laid out in the contract, and I'm not sure whether that could possibly be, I have no ideas about contracts, but... Yeah, it could be just that you have a contract that says we're not paying overtime, the days are at our discretion. You know, it could be. Right. Low budget Mm -hmm. stuff or very low budget stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then in that case, I'm not sure what you could do if it's laid out in the contract. So I think first Mm -hmm. and foremost, there's this contract which you have to really look at. Secondly, I suppose you could try involving your agent because that's the your representative, no matter what interests they have in these particular countries which you've described where, you know, it's a particular phenomenon where some of them double up as casting directors and agents. That would be at least a human being that you could perhaps talk to to really get some kind of clarification on what could be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing remarkable about what I'm saying. You would kind of look at the chain of command and do that and go that way. Mm -hmm. And then you have to sort of make a call and decide on how much fuss and pushback you want to engage in if you do have a leg to stand on and it isn't in the contract. Interesting. Yeah. What do you think, Andrea? Well, I defer a little bit to the two of you on this question just because it's so specific to the marketplace. You know, in the U.S., our unions are pretty strong. And um, I know actually a guy in the U.S. who's doing a lot of non-union commercials. Mm-hmm. I know that that is happening in America. So let's say it's a non-union commercial. Well, then you should still have a contract in place, so even if it's a non-union commercial. There's plenty of non-union work that's done. I think, yeah, I'm going to make a plug for unions right now. I mean, if you're in a country that has a strong union and you have the opportunity through your work to become a member, I would give it serious consideration. I had a conversation with a young actress recently, and she asked me about whether it's worthwhile to join the union, given the cost often of entering into the union. And I told her that I absolutely thought it was worth the cost to become a professional member of a union. And this is one of the reasons why when your working conditions can be protected and you have a whole force of people who are trained in contract law and entertainment law and who are working within the system and who are in fact part of engaging productions into agreements with the unions. I mean, this is the ideal situation that you want to find yourself in is to have somebody who's there to protect your working conditions. So if you have the opportunity to be a, be a union member, I would encourage actors to do so. If you're doing a non-union job, then as Gary said, there should be a contract which is outlining everything that you are about to undertake. If you're doing any kind of paid work, there should be a contract in place. If you're doing a student film unpaid, you're showing up at midnight at a house at UCLA and you're going to be shooting until 8 a.m. and then they're like, no, we're going to take till 2 p.m. That's another matter. That's an unpaid job and plenty of actors have found themselves in similar circumstances. And that really is a matter then of saying, do I want to become involved in this project? Do I want to stay involved in this project? What happens if I walk away right now? But it sounds like the situation we're talking about here is that she doesn't have union protection. She doesn't necessarily have strong agent protection. And we don't know what the content of the contract is. Let's say the contract was violated and they're just using the fact of the momentum that she's there in another country on the set and they're taking advantage clearly of the situation that she finds herself in. If she doesn't have somebody in some kind of a position to back her up in this, unfortunately, I think she's got to make a determination about whether this is an important thing to do or if it's in her personality to have a conversation with the second AD or the P. And find out what the options are. I mean, I've been on, I was on a set um, not too long ago with a number of major stars, and they wanted to keep pushing through the scheduling because of the way a shot was not working out. And you could just feel over time the rumblings among the main cast members that this was now, we were hours and hours past where we should have been. The crew didn't have a break. The lunch break was being like we were past dinner. And ultimately, a couple of the lead actors spoke up and said, okay, it's enough. We can't keep doing this. And they had the pull 
to sway the production to say, yeah, you're right. It's not going to work today. We've got to come back tomorrow. We're just going to have to reschedule the next three days because we've got to finish this tomorrow and everybody needs a break. But if you are somebody who's not in a, let's say, powerful position on set, this is a very big challenge to come up with how to protect yourself and how to do it with integrity and to assess really what the risks are to yourself and to the production. So I can imagine it must have been a very uncomfortable situation. And I feel for actors who are put into this kind of a situation uh, without the support systems that they deserve. What do you think, Brian? What was your feedback to her? I didn't give her a ton of feedback about what she should have done Mm because I heard about it afterwards Mm -hmm. because it's not... Um, I mean, I wanted to save it for the podcast, you know, I wanted yeah. to have it fresh. I didn't want to like, waste <laughs> it on her. Um, but I, yeah, but I think, you know, I was thinking about it and I, beyond saying, oh, that sounds terrible. And I'm so sorry that that happened. My initial thought is basically agreeing with the two of you. It sucks that you don't have a strong person in your corner. Mm-hmm. be it unions, which really in, I think a lot of Europe just aren't viable. Even, you know, equity, I think in the, in the UK is somewhat viable. Uh, and I don't know how strong they are in terms of enforcing onset rules. I, I think they're much less strong than SAG is in America, but certainly in continental Europe that I've experienced, it's never, I've, n- I've been working for a while and it's never come up that, oh, you know, unions, it just doesn't happen, which is unfortunate for a lot of reasons, but kind of understandable why it's that way. But so you don't have a strong union. And if you don't have a strong agent to call the producer and yell at them, And to give you basically cover Mm -hmm. for if you have to leave, Mm -hmm. because ultimately that's the thing. I mean, they can't force you to stay on set. You know, ultimately the decision is I'm either going to stay and do this or I'm going to leave the set Mm -hmm. and just take whatever consequences that might have. But having that strong agent gives you cover to do that and gives you permission to do it. And the agent will say, no, they, they're not, they're being assholes. They're not playing by the rules. Leave. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to book a train for you, or I'm going to book a, a, you know, whatever, an Uber for you now. And you're leaving. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just having that moral support of someone saying you can do this is really important. I mean, that's their job. That's an agent's job. If, it, if- Right. The agent was not as strong as someone saying, no, leave. I'm going to call. I'm going to stick a boot up the producer's ass mm-hmm. and make sure that this is right and that you get fed and that we take care of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's a dereliction of duty then. Well, that there are people that are like that here. I don't think you would find the majority of agents in, in London like that. The ones that I've known have all been very protective of that kind of decision. But I do think it exists here. Just to kind of boil it down for people who might find themselves in that situation, if because you, you're going to know if you don't have an agent that's going to have your back, you know, yeah. that's just basically looking for jobs for you and isn't going to do the real hard work of really getting in there with a producer and fighting for you. So I think if you're in that situation and you know you're in that situation, then exactly what Gary said, I think you really need to then step up and know what is in that context contract. And if there's something that's fishy in the contract, like we can cancel a shooting day with no penalty at a moment's notice, Mm -hmm. because sometimes they'll have a, you know, if we cancel a shooting day within a certain amount of time, then we'll pay half of the shooting day. And if we cancel it within this amount of time, then we'll pay all of the shooting day. Mm -hmm. Know what's in your contract. Mm -hmm. And you really, as an actor, should know what's in your contract anyway. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, like agents are, you know, they might catch something that you wouldn't catch, but they might not catch something that you, that you want. Really knowing what are the important points of the deal that you need to watch out for mm-hmm. and making sure those are there. And then making sure that when the producer tries to bully you, that you are like, I'm not going to be bullied. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's really hard. A lot of people in power are really used to walking over a lot of people who are not in power and just doing what they want. And a lot of people who are, you know, if you're an up and coming actor and you haven't maybe worked for a little while and you don't want to piss off the casting director and you don't want to piss off the producer and you don't want to walk away with nothing from the job because they might just say, well, we're not going to pay you at all. You know, in this environment, that's possible because you didn't do your end of the bargain. Then it's really hard to stand up 
for yourself. And then that's why you would have an agent. But if you don't, you got to be prepared to stand up for yourself and say, I'm not taking this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what we're reminded of is if you are operating in a non-union sort of flexible, let's say, or fluid industry, like the ones you're describing, then yeah. know what you're getting into beforehand. Mm-hmm. If you know that the boundaries are blurred and there isn't that kind of support that you might have in the States for sure and in the UK, then know what you're getting into by reading the contract and really being your own agent in a way and being an expert. Yeah contract yeah. so that you can push back and so you're yeah. not they're not taking the piss but yeah that requires knowledge and understanding and a bit of homework on your part yeah and i think it could be a case of like well you don't know what you're supposed to look out for until you've gone through it once or mm-hmm. twice and gone oh okay yeah that's something i need to make sure is never happens again mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which, again, that's another example of why you want a strong agent or just an agent that's been around the block a few times, because that's the stuff that they're going to look out for. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's hard because you might not have that agent, but you still want to get the work. And I know that this is not the only time that this has happened where an actor is hungry for work and has been taken advantage of. And so I just wanted to bring it up, you know, to have solutions that people can think about because it's it's important. And it happens, I think, a lot. It happens a lot here, unfortunately. That's sad. Yeah. And I don't know what the consequences would be if you push came to shove and you said, well, I'm leaving. I'm calling a cab and I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. I've been here for so long and, and I haven't eaten and I, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> I, there, there might be consequences with a casting director or with that producer. You know, I think the world's big enough that they're not going to blacklist you everywhere, but it could happen that people say, well, you're trouble. I don't know. You know, in terms of food and food breaks, things like that. And I don't know exactly what the specific situation was on that shoot, but if you feel like you need to eat and you are not getting a break, it's within the bounds to talk to the runners or the ADs and say, listen, I'm about to pass out. And so you need to go and get me some food. It's not like their food doesn't exist, you know? (laughs) You know, it's like it exists somewhere. And so someone needs to go and get you something. If you've been working for 10 hours and haven't really had much of a break to eat, um, you need to eat. Mm-hmm. And also if there is a break in shooting where, there are, where they are changing the lighting setup or something like that, and you have some time, that's the time when you need to go and go, I, I'm going to need to eat. Mm-hmm. The other thing, when I, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, would be you can bring food with you to set. Bring some protein bars or some, you know, peanuts and raisin trail mix or something like that. If you know that you're going to maybe be in a situation where there's not going to be a ton of time, they're not, you know, the catering isn't really doing what you need it to do, bring your own food. I mean, in that situation, just all the way around, you have to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and say, I'm not going to expect the production to take care of anything for me. So I need to do it myself. Maybe another thing to think about, a way of approaching it, is also be as formal as you can. And the first step you should make, if you haven't got a union or there is no union, which there isn't in this case, and your agent isn't stepping up to the mark for whatever reason, let's say, and we don't have all the facts, but let's say that's just the case, then I think the first step should be the producer. Go to the producer like an adult and have a very civil conversation after having read your contract and on a human level, just have it out with them and go, do you realize what's going on here? Point that out. They may be the ones behind the dish, but at least do everything in your power to settle it in a business-like way. Mm -hmm. Because also if you're an actor and they've shot some stuff and then, you know, they're going to maybe need to finish the film, you know? So, yeah. You know, you could start to kind of go, well, first of all, I'm going to let you understand how unhappy I am. Maybe they're just trying it on. Sometimes they might just be trying it on. And if you push back in a very business-like way, they may buckle or they may concede in some areas. And, you know, then it becomes a bit of a, okay, well, let's compromise here. Yeah, We won't do so long hours in a day, but we might need an extra day that we can't pay you for. And you might go, okay, well, the working day is going to stay the same, but you know what? I'll stay an extra day. I might not get paid for it, but then it's a call on your side and maybe all is not lost then. So, you know, go to the producer and make it, make them aware, have it out with them. Yeah. If that fails, then you really are on a decision. You know, it's like, what decision do I make that is best going to serve me right now based on 
all of the evidence. And it may well be walking off or it may well be hunkering down and getting on with it and then maybe dealing with it after the event in some way. But there does need to be a a decision. And and as you say, Brian, the worst thing about it is when actors are hungry, they don't want to make a nuisance because they feel it was going to impact on their life or their acting life. And it's going to get around, particularly in small cultures like you're describing. might feel like you're between a rock and a hard place, but Mm -hmm. there's got to be some kind of humanity here. I mean, I know that I've done, well, I know, (laughs) I know because I've experienced um, (laughs) low budget films that I myself They've gone over. They're not paying any extra. It was only a minimal pay. You know, it was a really flimsy contract. There was nothing about going over. There was nothing. It was just very sort of, this is what you're going to get. And these are the times and days and weeks we're going to be working. And I I stayed a couple of days. They paid for the food and the lodgings, but because, you know, it was like a good working environment and they weren't doing it in a malicious way. They could have got their act together a bit more, but, you know, it's, you know, like Steve Buscemi is living in a oblivion it's low budget filmmaking and it can be rather raggedy Mm. everything else was really cool and i was accommodated in all the work that i wanted to do and the director was cool and it was just like the skeleton crew was a skeleton crew so therefore it took longer than they expected so it was just a misjudgment and in that case i was happy to do it in my early career because i just loved being on set but it all depends how they go about it and how much you can put up with so i think what we're saying is you know take a look at your contract really closely from the start and think of yourself as a proactive professional in the negotiations because the negotiations don't end the minute you sign the contract in a way, right? You're taking a look at all sorts of details. And for the listeners who haven't done a lot of onset jobs, they're depending on the community that you're in. There are different rates of pay. There are hourly rates. There are day rates. There are half day rates. There are rates for fittings. There are rates for maybe the second or third audition that you went to. There's all sorts of ways that it gets broken down. If you're in a union situation, all of that is stipulated by the union. If you're not in a union situation, take a look very closely for the kind of things that are or are not included in the makeup of your pay. And then when you're on the set, be really aware of the dynamics of that set, because while there are very specific roles that are assigned from the first AD to the second AD, right to the PAs, I think if you find that you're in a situation where you're going to have to have some conversations, it's really helpful if you know who's really handling what and with whom you should be having these conversations for the best effect. And hopefully our actors will not find themselves in situations where they feel powerless, but can make some decisions that they're comfortable with and that hopefully they have some professionals behind them. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) my heart goes out to everyone (laughs) who might be in that situation, but yeah, it can be kind of wild out there. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to our third section and talk about the things that we have seen or experienced this week that we want to inspire others with. So Gary, what about you? What have you been reading or seeing or experiencing this week? Yeah, well, I've got a documentary that I'd like to talk about. I don't know if you've heard, but there's a guy called Adam Curtis who has made various documentaries over time and is very, very unique and very particular. And one of his, which I highly recommend, is not going to be the one I recommend here, but it's his sort of give you an idea of his history, is called The Century of the Self. It's a four-part documentary that gets into how Freudian philosophy and Freudian analysis and Freudian language and principles basically kick-started consumerism in the United States of America. Wow. Yeah. Because Freud's nephew, Bernays, his name is Bernays, you might, might ring a bell, took his principles and then it became the start of what we know as marketing. He took the two letters from the phrase propaganda that the Nazis used in the war and that's where PR came from and the whole idea of marketing and PR. And he basically unleashed it on America in the 1920s and where products lasted a long time, like a pair of boots would last a long time because they were made to last. He introduced the idea of perishables and things that needed to be replaced. And then he came up with this whole marketing procedure and strategy that got people to buy things. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the one I was going to talk about, but anyway, that's... Wow, that's a pretty good one, though. That beats what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> called The Century of the Self. You can get it on YouTube. 
um, or at least that's the last time I saw it was on YouTube. But if not, I'm sure you can get it on certain platforms. Mm-hmm. The latest one is called Can't Get You Out of My Head, and it's literally an emotional history of the modern world. And what it does is it examines power structures and political sort of intrigue that have shaped the world and these different forces and instinctive forces. He's really into control and how human beings are controlled by systems. So there's these different forces across the world that have led to where we are now. So this very strange place where he he says these strange days didn't just happen we, ourselves, and those in power have created them together. And he gets at the history of over the last hundred years of how that has happened, hmm. or whether we have control or whether we don't. And he gets into all manner of interesting sort of subject areas in order to sort of put forth his hypothesis. So Adam Curtis's Can't Get You Out of My Head, but also The Century of the Self. Wow. What about you, Andrea? What have you got? Well, I revisited a wonderful movie that probably a number of our listeners already know, but if not, please check it out, called Doubt, D-O-U-B-T, with Philip Seymour Hoffman, Meryl Streep, Amy Adams, Viola Davis, and this is based on a play by John Patrick Shanley, and they made a wonderful film of it, and the performances are really incredible. A number of them were nominated for major awards. And in particular, I would encourage you, if you're going to take a look at it, to check out the scene with Viola Davis, because she makes such an impact with this one major scene that she's in. It's a great look at how to take a pivotal supporting role and just present a fully formed character that's at the center of this dramatic action. It's really it's really powerful work on her part in particular. So I highly recommend, if you haven't seen it or if you want to see it again, check out Doubt. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Great. That's great. You guys have highfalutin ones. <laughs> I fell down... A rabbit hole. A Korean (laughs) soap opera rabbit hole this past week. I don't know what happened to me, but I was so into this show. It's called My Love from a Star. Mm -hmm. It's on Netflix. And it is about an alien who... (laughs) I'm sorry. A Korean soap opera about aliens. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, an alien who comes down to Earth and gets trapped here for 400 years. <laughs> and then right as he's about to leave, he falls in love with the top actress in Korea. As you do. As you do. <laughs> as you do. And I don't know why I enjoyed it so much. There's a few elements that were so intriguing because I haven't watched a lot of Korean soap operas. So one is that it was an incredibly eclectic mix of styles. You had the lead guy who was playing this alien who was so incredibly subtle and so grounded. And then out from that kind of pool of tranquility in concentric circles almost around him, you went out to the most charactery, clownish performances of the actress's agent or the people at the comic book store where one of her friends works. And there were these just caricatures, basically, that were there and had, you know, these this kind of comic relief caricature to give you a little bit of respite from the agonizing torture of will they, won't they, that they stretched over 22 episodes. And I just... I don't know. I want people to watch it and tell me that I'm crazy for for watching it. Um, you still don't know actress, why you're attracted to it. I, I thought that the chemistry between the two leads was really compelling. Mm-hmm. I thought that the subtlety of his performance was really nice where he really wasn't doing anything. But because of the situation of the plot and all of that, you felt like these little tiny little looks. It's almost like, it's almost as if there's all this commotion going on and there's one person that's really completely still in the center Mm. of it. And that's the person that you look at. That's interesting. It's just, it was really compelling to, to watch that and go, God, what is going on here? You know that they're not high art. 
but they're so well constructed that it just sucks you in anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But that's what I watched this week, you guys. In addition to all, <laughs> all of the other work that I was doing or not doing, the podcast came out so late this week. But like, that's why I was watching a Korean soap opera. All around. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys out there in Vagabond Actor land have a issue that's come up on set or something that you're proud of that you want to crow about or something that you feel guilty about being proud of or anything in between. Why don't you get in touch with us and let us know? And we'd love to help solve the issue or help you crow about it or whatever it is. We love getting questions from our listeners. And yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can get in touch with us at Vagabond Actors. We're on Twitter and on Instagram, and we have a Facebook page. And also, if you go to our Podbean page, you can subscribe to our podcast. And that really helps us out if you subscribe on Podbean or on iTunes, that you get the podcast whenever it drops. You don't have to wait for us to promote it on social media, so you can just get it. So that would really help us out. And if you want to keep up with what we're up to individually, then you can do that. Gary, how can people keep up with you and what you're up to and your classes and your various thoughts on acting? Yes, thanks. People can get hold of me on all the social media, the main ones, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. All my handles are at Gary Condes on all three of those. Or, you know, visit my website, have a look and send me an email on my contact page. I would love to hear from you with any inquiry. And Andrea, how can people get in touch with you? I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene 3 and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And you can find me at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram. That's it from us. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode. And in the meantime, we hope you all stay safe and stay creative and keep on trucking. So that's it from us. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, folks. Take care.